And today we will be looking at recognizing God's sovereignty helps create peace and contentment throughout all of life's circumstances. So I want to start out this morning with a little story of a trial in my life. About a year ago, probably, I'm a, I'm a full-time student in college. If you didn't know, I go to Liberty, just like Pastor Mark. And about a year ago, I was working on a paper for one of my classes. And I'm using Microsoft Word, and all of a sudden, my paper stopped saving. I'm clicking save up there, and nothing's happening. And I have this paper due the next day. And I'm working along, I'm working along, and I'm like, nope, it won't save, won't save, won't save. And I'm like, oh, it's fine. Eventually, it will save. Well, this paper never saved. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get things figured out, and I'm, I'm calling Microsoft now, and I'm like, you guys got to get this figured out. It's not saving. And, and all of a sudden, I exited out of it, tried to, tried to refresh it, and I lost everything, right? And now I'm frustrated. I have this, like, 10-page paper that I'm working on for school, and it won't save. And I'm mad. And I'm sitting there in my room talking to Microsoft on the phone for, like, two hours, and nothing gets resolved. Um, I'm hitting things. I'm, I'm slamming my, my fist against the desk. I am like furious that my paper that I worked so hard on is gone. And now I'm going to have to retype this thing to get it submitted the next day. And throughout all of this giant trial in my life and my anger, my circumstance is not changing. The only thing that's happening is I'm getting more upset, yet the problem is still there. There's no solution. Finally, I can't remember how it ended up getting resolved. I know that I had to retype the paper the next day. But man, was it so humbling to reflect back on my experience and think to myself, well, here I am, a professing man of God. In fact, not only just a professing man of God, but I'm the interim head pastor at a small church in Eastern Montana who's bringing the sermon every single Sunday. And behind closed doors in the middle of the week, I'm freaking out that my paper wouldn't save. You see, you might think that story is funny. Maybe you're like, yeah, that's pretty hilarious that Christian acted like that. Maybe you think it's ridiculous because it is ridiculous that a professing man of God acted like that. Or maybe you're like, that's actually pretty relatable. You see, when you think about it, we often respond to trials in this way. And you're like, no, I would never get upset about a paper not being saved. Well, what about when we can't find our keys in the morning or we're going to be late to work? Or we just ordered this coffee and we're on our way to work and it spills in our lap. Or our children are being disobedient and they're running amok and we can't get them to settle down. Right Right about when we're on the golf course and we hit a bad shot after a bad shot after a bad shot. Right, and these are all just little examples, but what about when we are suffering our own sickness? Or what about when we endure the loss of a child? You see, all of a sudden we can truly look introspectively and see, man, I do respond to trials in a way that's not Christ-like, in a way that's not biblical. You see, Job, who's introduced to us in Job chapter 1, verse 1, it says that he's a blameless and upright man. He was fearing God and turning away from evil. This man, as we'll see throughout today's text, didn't just lose one child, he lost ten. He didn't just come down with a cold. He was inflicted with boils. He didn't just have somebody break into his home. He had all of his livestock stolen from him. And as we're going to see today, Job responds with trials in a very different way than we tend to. 
I think the reason that that we tend to respond this way through trials is that we really don't trust in a sovereign God. You see, many evangelicals do not trust in a sovereign God. We view our trials in life like it's just dumb luck or karma or just happen chance. And we, 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 we approach these things as when we're in traffic and somebody cuts us off as that person doesn't know what he's doing. But we never view things that God is sovereignly reigning and ruling and, and, and causing all things to endure for our good and his glory. Right? Let me explain. <clears throat> Oftentimes when we have a trial in our life, we never look to the sovereignty of God and say, what is God teaching me in this moment? Why is God bringing this in to my life at this very time? Instead, we tend to view it as, man, the enemy is coming into my life to ruin it. And the enemy is bringing in all this pain and, and suffering. And we're giving the enemy much too much, much too much credit than he deserves. Or we don't even view things in that realm at all. And we're simply like, I did a bad deed yesterday. I guess I deserve that to happen. Or things just happen because life's circumstances. But as R.C. Sproul says, if God is not sovereign over all, he is not sovereign at all. Meaning God really is reigning and ruling right now. And every single thing that happens on this earth is a part of God's wonderful plan that he is Doing, You see, in Psalm chapter 33, verse 11, the psalmist writes, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart from generation to generation. God's counsel stands forever. There is nothing that can get in the way of a sovereign God and his plan. And you see in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 through 11, He says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly, I have spoken. Truly, I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. You see, as as Christians, as followers of Christ, we can trust in the fact that God's plan is always being enacted. Whether the good, the bad, or the ugly, through the darkest and most hard times and difficult times in our life, God is faithful to us because God is faithful to himself. And so he is working out his sovereign plan. Even when it doesn't look like it, when we're enduring hard times, like we're going to see through the story of Job, God truly is reigning. And for the believer, this should bring us great contentment. This should bring us great peace. Because there's not an enemy that can come in and ruin God's plan. And in fact, not only is there not an enemy that can come in and ruin God's plan, we can't ruin God's plan. And so every single thing that happens in life, whether we like it or not, comes at us through the sovereign will of God. And for us, it is always for our good and for his glory. And so again, today's objective is to, is to recognize that God's sovereignty will help create peace and contentment throughout all of life's circumstances. So then every believer can and should have contentment in trials by recognizing these three truths presented in Job. 
So again, if we're in Job, chapter 1, verse 1, we are introduced again to Job. It says, this man was blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Write a little disclaimer here before we get started. Job is a faithful man, meaning that all these trials that are going to happen in Job's life come because he is faithful, not because he is faithless. Right? We, we tend to operate in this backwards understanding sometimes of, of, of our faithfulness and how God, react, or how God operates with us. We believe that if we are faithless, our life will be in shambles, yada, yada, yada. However, the story of Scripture is that if we are faithful like Job, God will bring trials into our life to refine us. And so trials and tribulations are not a sign of faithlessness. In fact, oftentimes, they are a sign of faithfulness, right? And so first off, we must recognize the truth that it is God who gives and takes away. In Job chapter 1, verses 7 through 12, we have this discourse between God and Satan, God and the enemy. It says, Then the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Right. What do we see here? We see God come to Satan. God comes to the enemy and says, have you considered my servant Job? My faithful servant Job, have you considered bringing trials upon his life? And Satan responds and says, of course. Of course Job serves you, God. You've given him everything. Why wouldn't Job serve you? His life is, is amazing. His life is super prosperous. Of course Job's going to have trust in you. But if you strip all that away, there's no way he would serve you. That's Satan's response to God. Right? You see, we here in America have a very defunct view of, of how Christianity is for people all across the world. We in America truly operate within Christianity almost like it's the American dream. We have everything that we could possibly want here. We live in extreme comfort here in America. And so therefore, because of our extreme comfort that we have here, it is easy for us to trust in God. Because God just gave us this new $40,000 truck and God has given us this house with AC and God has given us three meals a day. Plethora of money, right? But if all of that is taken away, do we still trust in the Lord? Christians in other countries, Syria, India, Iraq, China, Japan, they don't have the luxuries that we have in America. And their faith is evident in how they trust in God despite living in discomfort. You see, Job's world is about to get rocked and God doubles down on him and he says, he will not depart from me. And Satan's going to say, no way, he will. And as we keep on reading in verses 13 through 19, we see that Satan comes in and wrecks Job's life. Satan comes in and he takes all of Job's livestock, done, taken, gone. All of Job's servants, gone. 
And it says all of Job's children were hanging out in the eldest brother's house and a big wind came in, caused the house to collapse. All 10 children gone in one day. Right, the worst pain imaginable probably for any person ever is losing the life of a child. And Job doesn't just lose one, he loses all 10 of his children. And you see his response in verse 20. It says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshiped. Job worshiped the Lord despite this trial. You see, the last thing that any one of us want to hear probably during a trial of this extreme is that God is in control. Right? We don't, even want to, we don't even want our mind to go there. What do you mean God's in control? This trial just came into my life. I thought God was a good God. But Job recognizes the truth that God is in control as he's about to say. And his response, therefore, is worship. Job falls to the ground. He doesn't curse God. He worships God. Right? Much similar to King David's response when his firstborn child is sick. When his firstborn child to to his wife Bathsheba falls ill, he goes before the Lord and fasts for seven days. For seven days, King David is standing before the Lord in, in sackcloth and ashes and he is going before him. He's not spending time with his ill child. He is pleading to the Lord. And on the seventh day, David's child dies. And David's response is worship. He stands up and he praises God. You see, despite the hard times that we go through in life, we are called to worship God because we serve a good God who is reigning and ruling for our good and his glory. So that means nothing that happens on this earth happens apart from his sovereign plan and happens apart from for our goodness. You see Job's response in verse 21. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job, Job puts this on God, yet he doesn't blame God. It says in 22, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. And so Job recognizes. See, we just saw that Satan is the one that inflicted this. That God ultimately used Satan as a means to come in here and inflict the loss of the servants, the loss of the livestock, and ultimately the loss of his children. And Job doesn't say, man, curse you, enemy. He says, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken. And scripture so kindly reminds us that Job did not sin in what he said. You see, when the Israelites are wandering through the wilderness and they don't have water, They blame God. They blame him. They're like, God, would you bring us out here to kill us? We'd be better off in Egypt. You see, they recognized that ultimately it was God withholding water from them, but they blamed him. Job recognized that God ultimately was the one that brought these trials in, but he's trusting in him despite the trials. You see, often we view trials either as curse the enemy or we don't even think that God is in this at all. You see, we must respond to trials like Job does. Naked I came, naked I shall return. The Lord has given, 
the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord forever. Secondly, we must recognize the truth that humans are to accept both good and adversity from God. If we were to keep reading in Job chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, Satan now inflicts boils upon Job. It says, Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took a posture to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. The picture that we're given is that Job is literally covered in boils from head to toe. I mean, we're not talking chicken pox. We're not talking acne. We're talking boils. These huge, disgusting, painful boils all over his body. So painful that it was less painful for Job to take a broken piece of a pot and scrape these things off his arm to bring relief. And like imagine how excruciating this pain must be. Insanely. And we look at Job's wife's response to the trials brought on to Job. It says in verse 9, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. <clears throat> right? So if we remember back in chapter 1, what did Satan tell God? If we take all these things from Job, he will curse you to your face. And now all of a sudden, Job's children are gone, his livestock is gone, and now his health is on the line. And Job's wife says to Job, How can you still trust in God? Every single thing that we have had in this life that we have built up is gone. It's taken. You must curse God and die because God is not a God worth trusting anymore. We have nothing, she tells Job. We have nothing. And she's not even the one inflicted with boils. Job is. And look at Job's response to his wife. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job calls his wife a fool. Job's wife is concerned for his well-being. And she's saying, man, our life is in shambles right now. God has taken everything from us. We must curse him. And he responds with, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Do we trust in the same God? The same God who gives and takes away is the same God who brings both good and adversity in this life. If we're going to trust God in the good times, we've got to trust God in the bad times. And so that is how Job responds to his wife. And again, Scripture so kindly prompts us and reminds us that Job did not sin with his lips. Meaning that Job's response to his wife was exactly the truth that she needed to hear and that we need to hear today. Guys, there is nothing that can happen in our life that is not a part of the sovereign plan of God. Meaning that no matter what sickness you are going through or what trial comes into your life or how many financial ruins or bad times you're going through or you spilling your coffee, not one of those things has happened apart from the sovereign reign of God for our good and for his glory. And as believers, we can trust in him for that and we can praise him for that. You see, Job's story is very similar to the story of Joseph in Scripture. Not Joseph, Jesus' dad, Joseph, the son of Jacob. If we remember the story of Joseph, he is the 11th brother and he is hated by his siblings. 
In fact, he is so hated by his siblings that his siblings one day decide to come up with this plot. And so they beat him and they throw him into this pit. Here's Joseph now naked and alone in this pit. They're going to leave him to die. Then all of a sudden, they basically see the slave trade coming through. And they're like, wow, we can make some money off of our brother here. Let us sell him into slavery. And so they do. They get Joseph. They sell him as a slave, expecting never to see their brother again. Joseph goes to Egypt. Right? He works his way up to to Potiphar's right-hand man. Then all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife right, has a false rape accusation against him just for Joseph to go all the way back down to prison where he sits alone for several years. Finally rises to the top again and becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man. Has the second most control in all the land. And Joseph's brothers now come because there's a drought in Israel. There's a drought where they're at. And they come to, to Egypt to get food and Joseph recognizes his brothers. They don't recognize him. And the story goes on and on and on. And eventually, as Joseph finally reveals himself to them, he responds with this truth to them in Genesis 50, verse 20. This truth that is so encouraging. He says, as for you, as for you and the brothers, as for you, brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You see, Brothers, what you meant for evil in my life, God meant for good. It doesn't say what you meant for evil, God used for good, as if God is just somehow the divine maid, right? God is not just this divine cleaner, cleaning up all of our messes and cleaning up all the evil that the world brings upon us. God is the divine cause. And so he says, brothers, what you meant for evil... What you did in in throwing me into that pit, what you did in selling me into slavery, hoping that I would die, what you did in never hoping to see me again, what you meant, all that evil upon me, God meant it for good. Every single thing that Joseph went through, God meant it for good. So Joseph was able to have peace and contentment throughout all those several years. In the pit, as being a slave and in prison, he could have peace and contentment because he served a God who was in control. And he knew that despite the wickedness of his brothers, God was causing all things to work together for his good and God's glory. You see, we really can and we really should view all of life's circumstances in a very similar way to as Job viewed them and as Joseph viewed them. Every single thing in our life, God is causing for our good. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your friend does to you or what your wicked boss does to you or what the circumstances that this life presents does to you. What all of them meant for evil, God is meaning for good. And we can trust in that. And then thirdly, we can recognize the truth that God's plan cannot be thwarted. Recognizing the truth that God's plan cannot be thwarted. Again, a little disclaimer here. I will say that from Genesis to Revelation, one of the the overall themes and messages all throughout Scripture is that God is sovereign and in control. Meaning that from Genesis to Revelation, from, in fact, before the foundation of the world till right now here, May 16th, 2021, there has never been a thing that has happened outside of God's reign and rule. Nothing can thwart the plans of God. 
And so Job comes to recognize this truth. But if we remember the story of Job, we recognize that although he was so faithful at first, he started to get a little whiny. Right, Job had some friends in his life that said, Job, you must have some treacherous sin in your life for God to inflict this upon you. What are you doing? You need to repent. Job, what's going on? And Job starts to hear it. He starts to believe it. And he gets a little whiny, right? He gets a little whiny. And this is God's response to Job's whininess in Job chapter 38, verses 1 through 7. says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man and I will ask you and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who set its measurements since you know or who stretched the line on it on what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. If you didn't pick up on what God is saying, it's almost as if God is sarcastically saying to Job, oh, I'm sorry, Job. I forgot that you were God. I forgot that you were the one that created the world and that I had to come to you in order to, to do my plan, right? That's what God is saying to Job. He's saying, Job, you're not God. And because you're not God, Job, you don't get to know the mind of God. Right? We know from Isaiah 55, 8, that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. God is in a whole nother, whole nother level. That's why when, when, when scripture says that God is holy, it means that he is set apart. It means that he is so transcendent, so separate from us that we seriously cannot comprehend how amazing God is. And so because we can't comprehend how amazing God is, the word that we get to use is holy. God is holy. And there is not enough words in the universe to describe and depict this truth of how amazing and set apart and holy and transcendent our God is. And so that is what God is arguing with Job on the basis of. He's saying, you're not God, Job. You didn't create the world. You didn't set out out its measurements. You weren't there when I laid the foundations of this earth. And because you weren't there, Job, You don't get to know. You don't get to enact things in your will. I'm God. I'm working through my plan. And don't worry, Job. Trust me because it is truly for your good. Because I'm a good God. And so I'm doing these things. And although your life looks hard right now, although there's trial and tribulation in your life and things are messy, I am enacting these things for your good and for my glory. Just trust me. And Job's response is seen in Job chapter 42, verse 2. He is humbled by God's rebuke to him. And he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job's response to God's rebuke is, I know, God, that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In simpler terms, Job says, God, I'm sorry. I trust that every single thing that has happened in my life, the losing of my possessions, the loss of my livestock, the loss of my children, and the infliction of boils has happened by your doing because your plan cannot be thwarted. You see, he's humbled. 
and this, this super faithful man that we're introduced to in Job chapter 1. As he gets a little whiny, God rebukes him. And his faithfulness grows. His trust in the Lord grows. You see, that little area of doubt and whininess in Job's life wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Because he accepted the reproof, he was humbled by it, and he responded in greater trust and adoration for the Lord. You see, when we have trials and tribulations in our life, that is what they are for. God brings these things into us to refine us. So at the end of our trials, we can say the same thing to God. Lord, I know that you can do all things. Lord, I know that you are in control. Lord, I know that no purpose or plan of yours can be thwarted. You see, we, when we recognize these things, life gets a lot easier. Life gets a lot easier to deal with because we serve a sovereign God who is in control. You see, in Job 42.11, you might be thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute. We're introduced in Job chapter 1, and it says Satan brought these things on. And then it's Satan's the one who inflicted Job with the trials. <clears throat> when we get to Job 42.11, it's affirmation and confirmation from the author of Job that it was truly indeed God ultimately who is inflicting these things in Job's life and in our life today. It says, Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him. And they bred with him in his house and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. All the adversities that the Lord had brought on Job. From beginning until end, Job's life was in the hand of God. God is the one reigning and ruling, controlling all of life's circumstances, again, for our good and his glory. And so again, when we recognize this, when we recognize life through these circumstances, all of a sudden you don't have to freak out that your paper's not saving. You don't have to freak out that you can't find your keys in the morning or that your car won't start. You don't have to freak out that you, you, you endured a sickness right before a big job interview or that you just lost the life of a loved one. God really is reigning and ruling as he is sovereignly in control. And so in finality, let's flip to Romans chapter 8, verses 28, and then we'll jump back to Romans 5 and we'll wrap up. You see in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul proclaims the truth that really I've been saying all morning, that all things happen for our good and for his glory. You see in Romans eight twenty-eight, Paul shares the truth. And he says, and we know, right? Like, let's not miss this. Paul says, and we know, meaning that what's about to come next should be common knowledge to every single follower of Christ. Why should it be common knowledge to every single follower of Christ? Because of the story of Job, because of the story of Joseph, because truly the message of scripture from beginning until end, this is evident. This truth that Paul is about to proclaim is so evident that Paul says, we know this. Guys, we know this. Church congregation, we know this. What do we know? That God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Right again, 
Don't hear what scripture is not saying. Scripture is not saying that God just uses all things for good. And that, that God just comes up after us and he just cleans, cleans up all of our messes. And he's over here and, and instead of being the divine cause of all, he's the divine maid. And God's out here running around just fixing things. That's not what scripture says. God is in control. God is bringing all things about for our good, for our good, for those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. Guys, that is the description of every born again follower of Christ. So if you are a born again follower of Jesus Christ, then every single thing in your life is caused by God to work together for good. We don't have to understand why. We don't have to understand how. All we have to do is understand the truth that this is a reality. That in every single circumstance, God is causing all things to work together for our good and for his glory. And you go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Paul says, and not only this. Well, first, let me, let me back up in verses 1 and 2, right? He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Right? As Christians, we are to exult in hope in the glory of God. Meaning we are to praise God and worship God because we have this inheritance stored away for us. We have this hope that cannot be taken away. And this is, this is why I started in verses 1 and 2. Because then when we get to verse 3, he says, And not only this, but we also exult... In the same way we are to praise God for our inheritance, so we are to praise God for this hope, we are to exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance proven character, proven character hope. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Just as we are to praise God, for our hope in him, we are to praise God for the trials and tribulations that he brings into our life. Why? Because God is bringing these trials and tribulations into our life to refine us. Right? The truth that God disciplines those in whom he loves, that's good for us. Because if God wasn't disciplining us, that means that God doesn't love us. And so oftentimes when God, when there's not trials in our life, that might mean that we're living a pretty faithless life. That we're living not a life that's honoring God. And we're walking not as a Christian walks, but as a pagan walks. And so trials and tribulations come into our life for our good. Because they cause us to trust in him more. Right? Job is introduced to us as a fearless man. A blameless man. An upright man. A guy, a guy who fears God and hates wickedness. Yet, he was not perfect. There was a little whininess in his heart. We couldn't see it at first. But as the story of Job unfolds, God digs and digs and digs and he finally removes that whininess that discontentment from his life and at the end of it job grows in faithfulness right when we when we see the psalmist pray the truth that god god show me the the wickedness that is in that is within me show me lord seek me and show me what what's in me we can't all the time see our sin we can't all the time see these blind spots we have blind spots and God, through trials, reveals these blind spots to us. And it's a good thing because it's out of discipline and it's out of love for us. And again, all of these things work together for our good. And so again, trials and tribulations. 
whether it's as simple as losing our keys, spilling the coffee, enduring sickness, or losing the life of a loved one. We must trust God through it all. Not because God is just a God that uses all things for good, but because God is the divine cause who causes all things for our good and for his glory. God has a plan and a purpose for it. It is good. And we recognize these three truths that are presented to us in the book of Job. We too can and should have peace and contentment throughout all of life's circumstances. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. Lord, I pray that you would purge all iniquity from us, Lord, that you would reveal all blind spots within our lives. Lord, that you would cause all of us to trust in you more. Lord, that you would instill within us a mighty trust and hope in you, despite the good, the bad, and the ugly. Lord, that your will would be made known to us, and when it is not, Lord, that we would trust you anyways. Lord, we thank you and praise you for being a good God who truly has our best interests in mind all the time. Lord, despite us not being able to see the big picture, Lord, cause us to trust in you through it all. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.